Hey, what's up? It's Chase. Welcome to another episode of the show. This is the Chase Jarvis Live Show here on Creative Live. You remember the show where there's awesome people and they help you live your dreams and career, hobby, and life. Today's show features the legendary novelist and poet, Margaret Atwood. Now, to say Margaret is prolific would be one of the... Would just, it, to say Margaret is prolific would be a massive understatement. She's published across 50 some countries, 45 countries or something since 1961. She's done more than 18 books of poetry, 18 novels, 11 books of nonfiction, nine collections of short fiction, eight children's book, two graphic novels, a number of small press editions. So many movies have been made of her stuff, like The Handmaid's Tale. I mean, the show, it's an incredible show, by the way. Um, the list goes on and on. Margaret Atwood is an absolute powerhouse. I, I'll tell you a little story about Margaret Atwood before we get into the show. I photographed her once. I, I After shooting 10 or 20 shots, I leaned in, I showed her a couple of these things, and I said, this looks great. Man, what's, what's your secret? And she looked at me out of the side eye and said, I drink blood. <laughs> and I mean... I don't know what to do with that answer, but she is an, and then she winked and smiled, of course, and we went on with the photo shoot. But to this day, uh, that has perplexed me to, to, again, to say she is a legend is a massive understatement. This conversation is a part of Create Alive's Between the Lines interview series, where our dear friend Kelly Corrigan interviews legendary authors to get the stories behind the stories, you know, tapping into the author's wealth of knowledge and experience and give you insights how to improve your craft. What I think is special about this episode is that we get to look into the mind of one of the most prolific and renowned authors of all time. And clearly she has either uh, a sense of humor or she's operating on a different plane than the rest of us. So a couple of highs from the episode is how not to have a formula for your art. Margaret talks about the power of a blank page without any constraints. You and I look at that as uh, maybe something that scares us. Margaret helps us work through how the blank page can be a way to unleash us. And this is true for anything. Obviously, this transcends writing. She articulates this great point about the story leaving the page, right? Characters like Ebenezer Scrooge, for example, and why certain stories are told and retold in so many other formats. Also cover two books that Margaret thinks every human being should read, this episode is chock full of wisdom from an absolute master. I cannot wait for you to enjoy this particular episode here of the Chase Jarvis Live Show on Creative Live Between the Lines with Margaret Atwood and Kelly Corrigan. Away we go. This episode of the Chase Jarvis Live Show is brought to you by Creative Live. Creative Live is the world's largest and best platform for creative and entrepreneurial education. Creators and entrepreneurs, hobbyists to full-time professionals, they've all leveled up with their careers and their lives through taking courses on Creative Live. And to be fair, they also make this show happen. They make it possible. And if you don't know anything about Creative Live, I encourage you to check it out right now. This is where Pulitzer Prize winners, New York Times bestsellers, the best of the best teach photography, video, art, design, music, and audio, craft, and maker classes plus the ability to make a living and a life in any one or all of those disciplines. Now, you all know that I'm a huge believer in the power of habits, and you've probably heard me talk on the show about how small daily choices add up to design and create the life that we actually live. 
Now, Creative Live as a sponsor here in this announcement wants you to know that they have a new powerful way to make education a part of your daily routine. How can you get the Creator Pass? And with the Creator Pass, you can find new areas to develop your skills. You don't have to worry about just buying one class. This allows you to improve your craft, consider making money if you want to with whatever it is that you're trying to do, to pull on your own threads of curiosity and explore. If you're ready to invest in yourself and take the reins for this one precious life that you've got, then subscribing to Creative Live is designed to push you in this direction. Sign up for Creative Live today. Hi, I'm so happy to see you again. Hi, Kelly. It's great to be with you. Uh, So we've been talking to all these people about stories, why we tell them and how we tell them and what their potential is. I don't know if we've talked to anybody who has created more stories from whole cloth than you have. Do you have a point of view after all this storytelling you've been doing for all these decades about why people need and love story? Long ago, Kelly. Yeah, tell me a story about story. <laughs> That's what I want. Before I want to cozy you were up to your fire. Way back in the Pleistocene, we developed an incredible human tool, and it is probably the thing that distinguishes us as human beings, and that would be articulated language with a past tense and a future tense. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you have articulated language with a past tense and a future tense, you have stories. So if you look at what small children do without any prompting before they're, say, three or four, they pick up language, they um, pick up rhythm and music. Little kids are into that Mm -hmm. just spontaneously. I remember vividly. Um, images, once they get some wallpaper and a crayon, it's game over. Picasso time. And, and storytelling. And they can understand this happens, this happens, this happens quite a ways before they can do that themselves. But they have the idea. Of cause and effect. There's a, there's a narrative thread. Maybe not even cause and effect, but sequence. Mm-hmm. So not necessarily this happens because of that, but this happens and then this happens and then you turn the page and this happens. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's really old and it far predates writing. Mm-hmm. And who were the great storytellers in your life growing up? Growing up, that would be my, my mother. She's a great storyteller, an oral storyteller. She wasn't a writer in any way. Um, so her... My, um, my brother was at that time a great storyteller, and um, being an older brother, of course, he started writing before I did, uh-huh. was a role model. Uh-huh. Uh, we did that thing that, that kids do of making the book first with the pages, oh, and sewing it up the sp- spine, and then you, of course, once you have the little book, you have to fill it in. Yeah. Uh, so we had we that want the idea. Product, right? Yes, we want well, the yes. Uh, so we were um, we were in the writing phase of human history pretty early, not just the pre-writing oral phase, but we did that too. Yeah. So we did a lot of oral storytelling. And did you admire? Did you consciously admire their ability to tell a story, or did you just kind of well, take it in? The thing about stories is. If they're well told, they are inherently entertaining Mm -hmm. to small children, to medium-sized children, to young adults, and to old adults alike. 
so it's not a story unless it has um, a shape of some kind. So my vacation in Paris, and here's all the photographs of... <laughs> there's, here's Clyde. You, you haven't met Clyde, but, right. but we met him in Paris, and here he is standing in front of the Eiffel Tower. Right. That is not exactly a story. Yes, maybe we could make an extra note of that for all the people who are still trying to <laughs> voice that. You can upon. make Clyde into a story, mm -hmm. but uh, there has to be something that has happened to Clyde. What was the first story you wrote? Do you remember? My first novel? No, your first, like, do you, do you remember, like, the well, first... Well, we wrote comic books. We were the comic... I'm really old, Kelly. <laughs> so I'm I had heard that about you, but you, you don't look it. Well, thank you. I will soon. Um, so, yes, it was the late 40s when all of this was going on. So it was radio and it was comic books. Television had not hit at the consumer level yet. So we, our idea of what we could do was not only writing um, you know, print stories to put in these little books, but also writing comic books. So my first ones were probably comic books. Uh, and then my first uh, novel at the age of uh, six or seven was about an ant. And it A did little ant on the ground or an A-U-N-T? An ant on the ground. Uh-huh. Yeah, because so you were a nature girl, right? I mean, well, you were just in the woods. I was in the woods. Yeah, yeah. raised by wolves. Woods, yeah, raised by wolves, raised by <laughs> entomologists. <Right. laughs> Therefore, it wasn't out of the question that this story should be about an ant. But the the unfortunate thing about ants is that their early lives are uneventful. <laughs> So you're an egg, <laughs> you're a larva, <laughs> you're a pupa. None of these have any legs. And, and not until after all of that, so not until the last few chapters of the book, was there any action. Tell me you have it. Tell me you have this somewhere, I please. I do have this. You do? Yes. It's oh, you've got to publish it. It's an it. object lesson in how not to begin this <laughs> story. You have to publish it. It would be the most encouraging Piece of fiction. You mean look at Margaret Atwood cack up on her narrative exactly. line. Exactly. <laughs> Precisely. Well, I did that, that on, on exactly lots of other occasions too. I can. I, I have some later examples. Yeah. Uh, but that that is one. And then I I I started a sequel, although I see I never finished it. <laughs> I think it's interesting about comic books, though. I mean, if you that's actually not a bad teaching tool for narrative because. Something has to happen in each frame. There's dialogue. There's it, it, the limitations might actually lead you to think in terms of dramatic action. Do you agree well, with me? Well, they do because yeah. most of the comics we were reading at that time were pretty action comics. Yeah. So it was the first age. I think some people refer to it as the golden age. Uh, it was early Superman, early Batman, early Captain Marvel. Like and a whole bunch of others, some early Wonder Woman. I, I've got to see that movie. Yes, yeah. I, I noticed I can't believe that, you haven't seen it. What? I can't believe you haven't seen Wonder Woman. You are busy. Wonder Woman. I know, I know, you have been busy. <laughs> but they seem to have said it in the First World War, whereas she was really a creature of the Second World mm -hmm. War. In fact, she was the most popular action hero of the Second World War. And do you feel like you took anything away from this early obsession with comics? Of like course. That, that leads you, that has found its way into your storytelling? Well, it found, it found its way into my, my graphic novel series called Angel Catbird, mm -hmm. uh, which I didn't, however, draw myself because my drawing is quite lumpy, but uh -huh. I have a wonderful <laughs> illustrator called Johnny Christmas, his real name, and he can draw the 
appropriate musculature and wings for a flying cat, bird, human being. Sure, sure. Well, I'm glad you found him. I mean, I don't think you would have gotten off the ground unless you had found him. As it were. <laughs> oh, my God. You're so much faster than I am. I, like, I'll never be able to keep up. I don't know why I'm trying. Um, how, uh, what have you gotten much better at? In my life? With, with storytelling. Oh, like what did you deeply I've got a number of other things. Yes. But they're in the, well, we're the, open to that too. We're not. The we don't need plumbing to. department. Plumbing. I've gotten much better at fixing toilets. Fantastic. I've gotten quite good at caulking. Okay, we're back. We're going back okay. to story. What have you gotten better at on the, the page? The key to caulking, Kelly, oh is to have a good masking tape that is quite wide. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And, and yes. Next Tips time on doing home that. repair from yes. Margaret Atwood. Yes. You have written so much. I mean, like 40 books or something crazy like that. You must have learned so many storytelling techniques over the course of that work. Like, what, it, what, what has been hard for you to figure out how to do that you are finally getting your head around? I, I don't think it works like that. Um, I think you're always faced with the same blank page at no matter what stage you find yourself. That is you're, so massively depressing the, to me. It's not depressing. Think it's of it as it? an opportunity. Is that it's how you think of it? the same blank page. Yeah, absolutely. You're incredible. So it's a blank page. Anything can go on that page. I, I, I mean, I'm only four books in, like, uh, but I feel like each time I'm newly furious that I'm starting at the same space on the board, that I, I can't quite believe how hard it is each time. It seems like with practice in all well, other if endeavors, you were writing, we get better. If you were writing a generic kind of book, that would probably be true. Uh -huh. So if you were writing, for instance, a standard uh, romance novel for um, right. a company that publishes nothing but romance novels, and they have a formula. Yeah. So um, what is better for the hero, unmarried, widowed, or married? Uh-huh. Widowed. Right. You're right. Because it's so you're, you're, you're a natural. Yeah, I'm a natural <laughs> trash not pulp how much, fiction. Yeah, thank how you. How much younger should the heroine already. be than the hero? Or should seven she be? Seven years. Pretty good. Thank you. Yeah. Seven, five Let's to seven. Let's keep going. What other quiz yes, questions right. do you have? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when should the first... Of course, this, has been, this is altering because the genre itself is altering. Uh, but it used to be that the first kiss should take place no earlier than page... 38. A little bit later. 52. More or less, yeah, in yeah. the 60s it used to be. But I think now they're getting sexy. Yes, we're all very impatient yeah, now. Yeah, 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 yeah. They don't go to bed together on the first night. It's kind of a dud. Well, once upon a time, they never went to bed together at all. Mm -hmm. it, was, it ended with a proposal, and that was it. Oh. Point yeah. being that if it's a formula like that, like that then you can get better at it. Yeah. But if it's not, then it's the same blank page every time. In which case, you should, one should congratulate oneself that it's just as hard this time because it means that you are not falling that's, into these grooves. That's correct. And therefore, if, one if could is, feel optimistic. If that is what you want to do. Yeah. If you don't want to write the same book, only better. Um, are you daunted every time you faster. start something new? One is always daunted. Yeah. Daunting is part of it. And do you have any ways that you work around that, or you just go straight through the middle of it? Did you ever read any Victorian literature, Kelly? I think so. I must have. Did you ever read any Alfred Lord Tennyson? 
Yes. Did you ever ago. read any long narrative poems by Alfred Lord Tennyson? Oh, yeah, Alfred Pr Prufrock. No, that's Eliot. Damn. <laughs> I don't okay, he has a long narrative sequence about, about King Arthur uh -huh. and the court of King Arthur called Idols of the King. And one of these sequences about the quest for the grail. Uh -huh. And the knight who's doing the quest arrives at the perilous castle. And there's an inscription over the door and it says, Doubt not, go forward. If thou doubtst, the beasts will tear thee piecemeal. So that's a good thing to repeat when you feel daunted. <laughs> you have to go through the door and not hesitate. Not allow the beasts. Because otherwise, the beasts will tear you piecemeal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And those would be the beasts of your own doubts and fears. What do you think you're really good at now as a storyteller? Caulking. Caulking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm Canadian. You're not allowed to say that you're really good okay. at anything. What, do you, what, what, what parts are you of not storytelling do you like? What are you not too bad at? What are you not too bad at? What do you at? not really suck at? That, That's that good. would be the Canadian Margaret way. Atwood, what do you not really suck at? Is that easier okay. for you to answer? Yeah, that's easier for me to answer. Okay. okay, so what I don't really suck at anymore, because I learned from writing that story about the ant, uh -huh. <laughs> I don't really suck at the first three pages. And, and so is I, that a joy for you? Canadians aren't allowed to have joys, Kelly. God, it's rough being a Canadian. It is, you yeah, but you can get used modest to it. You get, that's right. And never too happy. I know it's boring. Yeah, yeah. Uh, They'll say she's too happy. She's self-satisfied. Yeah, that's it. Yes. What could be more distasteful to a Canadian Very than to be self-satisfied? Yes, yes, bad. Um, how do you, when, when you have a, a thing you're hot on, either you've got a character in mind or a theme in mind, do you always know what bucket it goes in? Do you always know this is a short story, this is a novel, this is an no, essay? It's, it's never a theme. It's always a character, a scene, or a voice. Mm -hmm. So you find out what the theme is later, mm -hmm. once you're really into it. Mm -hmm. um, so I usually know, and sometimes I'm wrong. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, but you have things that you care so deeply about. I mean, you're, you're obsessed yeah, with the but, environment. but it's not like a, it's not like a box. Mm -hmm. So the novel is not like a box that you're going to put these things into. What is it's it like? It's more What's like a mud metaphor? pie that you're going to sculpt. Uh-huh. Okay, so it's more like a blob that, that you're working with. Um, and as you work with it, you find out what it isn't. Uh -huh. And then you squish it up again, and then you make another shape, and maybe that will be the right one. And sometimes it isn't the right one, Kelly, and sometimes it is never the right one. Yeah, how, much, how many projects or stories have you How many horrible failures have I... <laughs> yes, please, tell well, me Well, apart from short stories, which there are numerous ones of those that didn't work out, um, two major novels that I got more than 100 pages into before realizing that this was a total loss and waste of time. And you were sure. You don't ever, they don't you linger mean, in your mind. at that moment? Um, okay, remember the thing about the ant. Yeah. Right. Let's go back to that. The pupa? The pupa? <laughs> <laughs> the egg. The egg. The story in which nothing happened for quite a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, so I had one of those, and it came out of my desire to be more organized, Kelly, which apparently was a mistake. Mm. Because I tried the filing card method. 
uh-huh. talking to other writers, I find that I'm not the only person who has done this. So I was going to be very organized. I was going to have filing cards, and uh-huh. I was going to have eight characters, and each of them was going to have a section in, um, in each of five parts of the novel. Quick multiplication will lead you to 40. understand that there were 40 filing cards. Mm-hmm. So I wrote things on the filing cards, and I started working my way through the scheme. And I got through it twice, therefore 16 chapters. That's a lot. Yeah. And we knew a lot about these people. We knew what they had for breakfast, what sort of socks they put on, um, who their boyfriends were, you know, all of these things we knew. But no events had taken place, and I was <laughs> already up to you right. I was already Whoops. up to about 150 pages, and I thought this thing is going to be a thousand pages <laughs> long. <laughs> Nothing has happened yet. <laughs> Why? Why couldn't something happen? Like I was too obsessed with being organized. Oh, how terrible! Yeah. Did somebody put it in your head that index cards were the way to go? No, it was a self-inflicted wound. Oh. Well, it, that's was, all right. it came from feeling that I was just not pulled together enough and that I should not do all of this plunging into the blob of mud without knowing where it was going. But apparently that is the way I work and there's no hope for it. Uh, well, but it's yeah. so smart to learn. I mean, I think such a huge part of work for anyone, no matter what they do, is knowing, knowing what how you do what it. doesn't work for yes, you. Yes, for you. But it does work for other people. I've known people yes. who have... Who have Outlined their entire novel on a wall. Right. No. And it's like seen, that. it's seen, I, I mean, I can see the attraction of something like that. I can imagine that it might make you feel a little bit more in control and like you can see the I road ahead a little bit. I think it really would. And I, I think if you were writing, for instance, a television series, it would be essential. Right. Because you can't just improvise as you go along. Right. Um, you have to know what's going to fit in with what and. Um, you also have to know who's going to play what part at what time. Yes, and so often you're collaborating, so you need yes. to be able to show people exactly. where, where the story is going to go. Where are we going? But right. um, it doesn't work for me. Uh, what do you suck at? What, what do I suck still at? can't you do the way you want to do it? Punctuation, Kelly. <laughs> well, I don't think I suck at punctuation, but my copy editor frequently thinks I suck at punctuation. Well, that is the perfect thing to suck at if you want to be a writer because Mm. many people can fix it. Spelling and punctuation. That can all be fixed. Uh, True. I mean, I get so angry as a mother of young girls who are handing in these papers that how much emphasis is on spelling and punctuation, I think, really? Is this what we're worried about? It's so much harder to teach ideas. 14 and 16? Well, they're programs on the computer that will tell you things. No kidding. Yeah, no, sometimes those things are wrong, but yeah. um, nonetheless, that's not hard to fix. Yeah. And when I announced at the age of 16 that I was going to be a writer, I don't know what put it into my head to come out with that, but I, I evidently had no inhibitions about it. My mother said, after biting her tongue, <laughs> she said, if you're going to be a writer, you, sh- you better learn to spell. <laughs> and I said, others will do that for me. Yes. And you know what? That's True. right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my mom said, uh, when she read my first <laughs> book, which, I mean, I write memoir, so she's in it. And Uh-oh. you would think that the emotional engagement would be sort of a given, considering that it's her life I'm writing about, or our life together. And she said, well, it's very good, Kelly. I mean, I didn't see any misspellings, and I thought your grammar was excellent. 
And I was like, that was a backhand. That's what you took away from like 300 pages about our family is that I I know when to say whom. She was delighted that I said whom instead of who. Yeah, keeps you humble. Um, how, how distract, I mean, you're, you're in the middle of this handmaid's tale, like explosion. And I wonder how distracting is it for you to have so much, um, other in your life? Like here's writing and storytelling and here's all the things that have sprung from it. Is that finding the balance between those two activities and those two, and like, is your mind share yeah, It's always been like that, but this is more. This is crazy, right? Yeah, this is quite insane. Yeah, never could have seen this coming. Not me, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, I did not see it coming. And neither did, you know, maybe five people on the planet. Yeah. There's one pollster, no, one, one expert on something or other who saw it coming. And apparently there's a chimpanzee or a, uh, a famous monkey that picks presidential winners. Oh, dear. And, and the monkey picked... Trump. Oh, but I'm talking about, for, could you have seen Handmaid's Tale coming? But you're saying, could you have seen Handmaid's Tale and, the two, and Trump the, happening at the same time? The two are connected. For yeah, sure. For sure. For sure. Um, yes. Are you pleased with it? Like, do you like what the they series? did with it? Yeah. Uh, the series is very well done. Uh, the acting is stellar. The, I mean, you, you, can't, you can't name anything about it that is not well done. Isn't that wonderful? It is. Actually, to see very it come lucky. to life. And, yes, yeah. yeah. Have you seen other stuff come to life of yours that you did not like the way it turned out? You're not allowed Canadians to Canadians are not allowed to be negative. Right. Except, but, but about, perhaps. Them, except about themselves. Perhaps. Um, perhaps. Uh, yes, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Yes. Very great. But this goes back a long way into the past. Yeah. And do, does it seem um, insanely tempting to you to have your stories told twice that way, like the way you tell them on the page and then to see them told again with different... No, uh, this has been going on for a while. So we had a feature film in 1990. Mm -hmm. There's been an opera, which is mm -hmm. actually pretty good. Really? Uh, there's been a ballet. There has been... Um, there's right now a graphic novel. Somebody's turning into a graphic novel. Uh, so... And, of course, it's been an audio book. Claire Danes did a very good rendition oh, of that. Um, Why do you so think so many people want to experiment with retelling that story? I think there are some books that escape from their covers and become something recognizable. So if I say Ebenezer Scrooge, mm -hmm. you know who that is. Mm -hmm. He's definitely escaped from his own story. He gets into ads for Christmas presents and yeah, yeah. <laughs> all sorts of things. And if I say Captain Ahab, you know who uh -huh. that is. So it's, it's just somehow gotten out of the box, I think partly because it's visually so recognizable. Yes. So yes. you have people, for instance, dressing up as handmaids and sitting in legislatures. Wow. That's happened in several different states. Um, that must during, make you happy. Does that make you happy? Well, no, because the reason that they are doing it is that they're silently protesting right. negative laws. Right. So it, it's, it's perfect in a way because they're not causing a disturbance. They're not saying anything. They're completely silent. They're just sitting there. But everybody knows what they mean. Isn't that incredible? So in that way, it's a recognizable symbol. Um, what did you think you were doing when you were writing that? 
I mean, were you just inside the story, or did you think this is going to have well, such... Well, the story is connected with, with human history, mm-hmm. in that I didn't put anything into it that has I love not that about it. happened somewhere, sometime, someplace, and often repeatedly. Mm-hmm. So right now I'm answering a questionnaire from a French publication, and one of the questions they have asked is, what historical facts did you use? So... I've got several right from France that will make them very happy. They will recognize their own French Revolution, subject to being people torn apart by mobs. <laughs> so uh, in the French Revolution, it was the Princesse de Lambelle who was torn apart by a mob. Uh-huh. Um, in early Christian history, it was the... Uh, female philosopher Hypatia of Alexander, who was torn apart by fanatical Christians. He was literally but when shredded. when you sat down to yeah. write that, mm-hmm. had you already sort of collected these historical references and thought, I know, I know what I'm doing here, and I know what the rules are of my world, and I know that I'm not going to invent, and I know that I'm going to... Yeah, I knew that I wasn't going to invent. Um, had I already collected the historical things, they were there. I hadn't been collecting them, but once you start looking for something, mm-hmm. so I sometimes say my, my mind is like your grandmother's attic. Uh-huh. There's all kinds of junk up there. But when you want something, you can go up there and start pawing around amongst the you know, dress forms and old ancestral pictures, and you will find the thing you're looking for. Uh-huh. So it's all there, but I, I don't look at it until, I'm, until I know what thing I want. Yeah. So there's a couple of different ways of write, doing the research on a book, and one of it is to do, one way is to do all the research ahead of time, which I find cluttering, because okay. you often don't know what you need until right. that moment when you need it. Yes, and also the, sometimes I feel... In, in different ways, that if you invest a little too much up front into something, either making a sentence beautiful or going to the ends of the earth to get some research, then you feel this greater need to use it. it you're, yes, you're you a do. little and too that, precious about it. Then you about. can clog things up. Yeah. So the person who has a lot to say about that is Hilary Mantel, uh-huh. who's written this series about Thomas Cromwell of Henry sure. VIII called Wolf Hall, was the television one. Um, and she did do a lot of research, but, but that can create a problem. So right. I tend to do it backwards. I write the story, and then I check out the facts to see if... And you're character-driven. You're, you're seeing Alfred first. Character, voice, situation, um, setting, all of those kinds yeah. of things. So it's always a person with a voice someplace eating something and wearing something. <laughs> uh-huh. Are you working on something now? I never tell. Okay, we're sort of out of time, so I'm going to ask you my questions now. Oh, right. These are the <laughs> evil Kelly questions. <laughs> Name a book you wish you had written. Collected works of Shakespeare. You can't do better than that. <laughs> <laughs> what was the last story that made you cry? Okay, book or a story? Either. Okay, so I cry in movies. More than I cry in stories. And the last one that made me cry was quite recently because I've just seen the first two episodes of Alias Grace. And one of these scenes in Alias Grace made me cry. And when you see it, you will know why. 
If your mother wrote a book about you, what would it be called? My mother would never write, <laughs> never have written a book. But supposing that she had, my dad would have written a book. What would his be called? She should have been a botanist. <laughs> really? Is that what he wanted you to be? Yes, he did. Because he loves But my mother his, would have yeah. written one called "That's Very Nice, Dear." <laughs> <laughs> or else, I raised an alien. One of those two. <laughs> Who can't you live without? Creatively speaking. Well, there's a lot of them, but um, I guess I just have to sort of pick one out of the air because otherwise you're not going to be satisfied, are you? No, I'm okay. not. William Blake. If you could get everyone in the world to read one book, what would it be? All right, so we live in difficult times, Kelly. Yes, we do. Um, Margaret. So it would either be a book called Behave which is about human behavior from every possible um, point of view, because we really need to know why we do the things we do, mm -hmm. including a lot of the bad things we do as human beings. Mm -hmm. And the name of the author of that book is Sidplosky, and it just came out, Behave. It's 800 pages long. Enjoy yourself. <laughs> um, or it would be <laughs> a book about the most crucial problem facing us today, and that would be the fate of the oceans, because if the oceans stop producing oxygen, we will choke to death, but we'll become very stupid first. So I think I would recommend a book called Plastic Ocean. There's a lot of them, you know, things I'm sure. having to do with oceans. So um, go those with would be ocean. human behavior and fate of the oceans, okay. both very crucial for us to know about. Uh, that's for everybody in the world. Before that can happen, we're going to have to do a lot of literacy programs, Kelly, because some <laughs> people cannot read. Oh, I love you so much. I love talking to you. I think you are. Because you think I'm really weirdly pedantic, right? I love it all. I love the whole thing. And I just feel so lucky to know you and um, think you're a treasure. And I'm going to say it to your face. You're oh. a treasure. Oh, shucks. Mm-hmm. Thanks. All right, real quick. Hey, before you go, if you know anything about me or my work, you know how deeply I believe in the power of creativity. It's so core for a successful, fulfilling life. I mean, that life cannot be built by accident, right? That's only an accumulation of intentions and daily choices and actions and the stories we tell ourselves about what's possible with this one precious life. Well, I want you to know that I wrote a book specifically about this. And if you enjoy the show and you don't yet have the book, I think, uh, I think you ought to because I think it's an incredible companion to all the work, the 10 years we put into making this show. The book is called Creative Calling. You can get it, of course, at, at Amazon or, or your local bookshop or anywhere books are sold or at creativecalling.com. Uh, but there is a creative process I outline in the book, a series of daily habits. It's very, very actionable. And again, wherever you are on your path, whether you're just starting out or you're a veteran, um, if I don't, if that book doesn't add value to your life, I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of five-star reviews on Amazon. So if that book doesn't uh, add value to your life, then you can message me personally, and I will, I will get you your 15 bucks back for the hardback edition. Uh, I just want you to know that if if you're new here or you haven't checked out the book, please do and let me know what you think. All right, thanks again, and we'll see you uh, the next episode.